Hey guys, it's Montel here with another edition of Let's Be Blunt. And I'm really, really happy to have the guest that I have today. Before we get started, you know, I can't go without making a few comments about just what's going on in the world today. I mean, you know, this is now Tuesday and, you know, uh, June 16th, and I am flabbergasted by the response around the country to the idea of our First Amendment right, our First Amendment right being the right to protest. One of the things that now we know that, you know, hundreds of thousands have given their life to, given their lives for, in an effort to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to speak out, especially when they see grievances that they think need to be addressed. And I have been completely flabbergasted by, in some cases, what we're seeing now across the country where our militias are coming out against protesters as if they are now some adjunct police force that has the right to quell what they think is an uprising. I'm going to do several podcasts this week and hopefully we'll address that in one of those. But I think we need to all stop for a second and remember it took us all now 400 years to get to where we are. It's going to take us all to get to the next year. And if we continue to just denigrate what we call this great experiment into the chasm that we are denigrating into, it may be too hard for us to pull ourselves back out of this. I don't want to belabor this as much as I want to be able to just talk and engage with our guests that we have today, who are two very, very, very special people that are joining me to talk about Success Centers, a community-based organization that was founded 35 years ago by the Supreme Court judges in San Francisco to provide education and employment opportunities to youth in juvenile detention centers. The program has recently expanded to include equity for industry training and workshops for those who are interested in the cannabis industry. Joining us today is Liz Jackson-Smith, who is the CEO of Success Fighters, and Angela White, who is the program manager for the Equity for Industry program. Ladies, thank you so much for being a part of the discussion. discussion. Thank you for having us. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Absolutely. You know, Liz, let me start with you. Now, you started this program, it was, well, I say the program was started by Supreme Court in San Francisco uh, 35 years ago. And let's talk about how the whole program began. Yes, this is a result of um, ensuring that young people, we found that 80% of the young people that we came encounter with had committed crimes of an economic nature. And we always believed if they had different resources, they could be captains of industry. And we still believe that today. Um, we, they are oftentimes uh, lack the necessary education that they need. School in the traditional sense just hadn't worked for our, our, our clients. Um, and therefore, getting into lucrative jobs that can help them um, to provide income for their families um, aren't available to them because they lack the education and the connections, if you will. Um, and we really um, have worked hard to create alternative ways and means of educating folks. If you're out there hustling out on the streets, you have a particular skill, if no more than being resilient um, to figure out how to navigate that system. We believe with different resources they could. And we've, we've demonstrated that over the years and have enabled folks to 
regain their high school um, diplomas, go on to college. And um, we have several training programs that we've developed and allow them to get into lucrative jobs and lucrative positions. Um, this, this whole notion about the equity for industry program came from these same young people. Uh, we did a, a sticky wall or a needs assessment among them about maybe five or six years ago and asked, what are you and your friends going to need to be successful in the next five years? And they said, well, those jobs you get us, Miss Liz, in retail or in the restaurant industry, those are cool. But we, we want to get into professional careers in construction, uh, tech, uh, hospitality, health. And cannabis, and everybody laughed when they said cannabis, but we're like, well, tell us more. What are you thinking? And they knew, they had the idea back then that this thing had already been legalized in California medicinally that would also be uh, legalized for recreational use. So we um, have taken all their ideas and it's enabled our organization to grow um, at least eightfold in the past five or six years. So... You know, let me not, not, not only cut you off, but, but, you know, it's really very interesting. It was about 31 years ago, I was actually speaking at a Fleet Week event in the Bay Area and actually visited two of the juvenile detention centers and happened to ju- do, uh, visit one of the juvenile detention centers, I think, when your program had just walked out the door. You had just had a seminar in one of those programs. And uh, so I know the good work that you guys have been doing. And let's, let's talk a little bit about how you outreach to the kids. How do you outreach to your clients? Well, we've expanded. So, it's you know, we started off just working with young people who were transitioning back into community from the detention facilities. But now we serve anyone from the age of about 16 into 90, 99. Um, Ms. Angela, she'll talk about, maybe talk about one of her clients that's 76 years old that uh, was part of our entrepreneurship training program. So anybody who wants to get up and work or um, find a new career for themselves, um, we're, we're there and available to work. So we've expanded that catchment over the years. Um, but the way we do our outreach through various means, word of mouth is the best. So people say, if they help me, they can help you. Um, but we reach outreach through social media. Um, we're, we're out on the ground. We do uh, community events. We have job fairs. Um, we work with um, the systems. We work directly with the departments, the juvenile probation department, human services department, um, the school districts, the community colleges, the local universities. So we have a vast um, outreach mechanism and system for um, informing people, the the transition homes and group homes. So informing people about our programs and services. But I still think that the, the best mechanism are those individuals who have successfully come through our programs and receive our services. And then, well, now, I guess the organization reached out to you. How did you find out and how did you get involved in starting the equity program that's now a part of this initiative? Well, I, I had been speaking with Liz, um, trying to develop a curriculum for um, uh, cannabis. And we spoke on the phone for about a year. I was working at another uh, company and uh, she called me out of the blue one day and she says, I need your help. And I said, well, Okay. She says, no, I need you to come. 
to work for me. <laughs> and um, I said, well, when do you want me to come? And she said, yesterday. So I, I quit my job. And uh, two days later, I was at Success Centers uh, and uh, began working towards uh, developing uh, this program. Um, so uh, we started out with um, uh, cannabis industry uh, job shops, which were uh, what we call here uh, our, our employer spotlights. And uh, we put a different take on it because um, the industry was so new at that point that we wanted people to uh, understand uh, the nuances of, of the industry, that this was not about coming to work high and those kind of things. So uh, we had to get people trained. And so uh, I started this, um, you know, giving them um, training, job readiness training. Um, and also connecting them with employers. Um, this program has really grown in the sense that um, equity applicants who go through the verification process here in San Francisco um, for the business end of it to start businesses um, have, uh, you know, to qualify for three or six criteria and uh, being affected by the war on drugs was one of them. And um, so, uh a lot of people who were affected by the war on drugs didn't go to college and don't have the education and don't know the business acumen. So we've created the equity for industry workshop program here um, where we bring in industry professionals to do what's like a, a TED talk. And uh, um, um, they will go over the different uh, business um, in, um, things, acumen that folks are going to need to su survive this industry. And so uh, <laughs> This is basically what we've done, and um, there's no other um, nonprofit uh, like Success Centers uh, in the state of California. Uh, we have people that are attending our workshops from as far as Sacramento all the way from Los Angeles uh, and, and, and also out of state because as this uh, industry moves into other states, people want to know how to get their businesses up and running in the different um, um, nuances of the industry. When you talk about equity for the industry, now most states have now incorporated in their legalization or their laws for medical cannabis distribution, they have now added in an equity component. Are you under some sort of state or city or local municipality governance to develop this program, or is this something that you developed to make sure that the local municipalities had a plan to make sure? that people of color and diversity was part of this industry? I'm chuckling, but I'm going to let Liz answer that question. <laughs> so we, there, we have been part of task force and advocating to be sure that equity is included in this space. Because we know, again, from the war on drugs, that so many of our constituents have done time, have gone to jail because they were selling marijuana. And now it's not fair for, you know, other people to be able to come into this space and, and get rich um, where our folks have been persecuted. So we have advocated for it. Um, there have been task forces to make sure that equity is involved. However, um, it's been it's very difficult um, to support. They're, they didn't think about how do you support people to be successful in this place, in this space. And these are the types of programs and services that we are putting together to make sure that our folks can thrive. Um, as Angela pointed out, they lack necessary education. The business acumen is not that in a, of a, a legal, legitimate 
space. And so we want to make sure that they understand the language, that they understand the how to navigate the municipality to be able to get a business license, to be able to be verified, to understand what non-disclosure agreements are about. It's it's a whole machination of things that our folks have been left out or pushed out and just don't understand that we have taken on the responsibility to make sure that they they get in and sustain their rightful place. Let me just jump in for just a second. But, you know, there are we've noticed that, you know, there's a lot of ink that suggests that equity is the appropriate way to develop out this system of distribution of cannabis around the country. Yet the ink, even though it's dry in some places, still seems like it's wet because a lot of companies, a lot of uh, people who are investors aren't investing in minority-owned cannabis businesses. They are literally ignoring minority cannabis businesses. Um, you know, you have to kind of, I mean, you have to kind of really, 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 you know, grab the bull by the horns in some areas of this country to even see if you can peek inside the door when the meeting's taking place. So how effective have some of these, this program, and you're, I'm not, and I'm not saying this in a way to cast aspersions, but you're trying to train. Are you seeing any pushback or are you seeing the community at large accepting of the fact that they need to employ people of different races and backgrounds? Well, again, it's something that we, I mean, throughout any industry that we've been continuing to push uh, forward on. Um, so, yes, it's, it's, it sounds really nice, but again, nobody is helping to shepherd people through the, the process. And so we're making sure that we stay laser focused. We're holding the systems accountable um, to it. They have to check back in. So part of what we're doing as well is not only helping job seekers get into the space, not only helping folks who want to start businesses, learn what it takes, but also making sure that those equity incubators have a space. They don't even know where to go to find people who are interested. So we create the space for that and to help as a yinnel, if you will, to make those marriages happen. Um, we're also working on the municipality side to make sure that there's compliance and helping to create um, some of those ordinances and regulation. So we're looking at this thing 360 so that we can make sure that there's accountability in the system as well, too. If you say that 35% of uh, recreational use dispensaries need to be made up of equity applicants, we want to know. We want to create a system that make host folks feet to the fire as well. If you're supposed to incubate or, you know, they have a choice in San Francisco, either 35% of your workforce is equity or you can incubate an equity um, company. So we want to make sure that those things happen. So we try to keep a, a laser focus on those things and create the spaces. We can't hold people accountable for something. Neither one of them know how to do. And so that's where we are kind of that middle person to make sure, okay, we'll show you and we're going to help keep you accountable and create the space that's safe and healthy to do it. Because we no industry has been taxed in this kind of way, not construction, not tech, nobody. They all talk about it. But here we want to make sure that indeed it happens. But it's it's a struggle. I'm not going to say it's it's been an easy task. Well, the legal market in California has been a tough one because 
of what you just said, the tax. I mean, uh, the taxes are so high that it's made very difficult for legal cannabis outlets to really operate. And that's the reason why now in the last, especially since COVID, a lot of your delivery services are delivering in the black market now. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm not asking if you're training people who are working the black market, but is it really winding up in that situation again for people of the color to only really find gainful employment in the black market rather than the legal market? Go ahead, Angie. I think <laughs> well, I can't really speak for the the illicit market because I'm not trying to um, get people ready for that industry. What I'm trying to do is bring people in um, to the legal markets and I'm working with employers um, who want uh, to hire folks. Um, And so um, I know that um, there has been a a downturn in in employment um, because of the COVID-19 thing, but it's beginning to pick up again. Uh, We're hosting our um, budding industry job shop event um, and working with uh, employers to get some good um, um, uh, employees or job seekers ready for those jobs that are coming up. And so, um, yeah, I just tend to stay away from the illicit market because I I don't want people to think that that's the only way. Um, However, uh, (laughs) um, yeah, so... The, the question about the illicit market, I'm, I'm just going to stay away from that. But that is how we learn how to do this work. Um, it has been part of our uh, DNA for many, many years. And I don't think that the talents and skills that we learned in that industry uh, should be ignored. And that's that's what I'll say about that. But I guess maybe part of the collecting the knowledge from the illicit market should help to drive the legitimate market into making changes that could, I mean, I I think the only way that cannabis is going to work across this country is when we finally can bring an end to the illicit market. We have to, but that will never happen when municipalities think that that's their only source of revenue is through the cannabis world. So they drive the taxes up so high that it's too daunting for entrepreneurs to even get into the marketplace. So maybe what do you think that uh, the municipalities are starting to understand that there's going to have to be some give and take when it comes to setting such a high bar for taxes in the legal market? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. I'm, I'm certainly hoping so. <laughs> what I will say is um, our program here at Success Centers is uh, run totally off of um, private dollars. Uh, we have not been funded by the city. Um, and so if that says something with the high tax rate that has been going on in this community, uh, 
the cannabis program or the equity for industry program, I should say, your success centers is basically being funded by private donors. <laughs> and private donors in the cannabis industry. Yes, and others, because they, yeah. they believe they believe in uh, the work that we're doing. Yes. Okay, so now let's talk a little bit about how has this whole COVID, this whole pandemic, I mean, we're now, you know, five months in and we're about to see another four or five months in the future. And, and we look across the country and watch the news, numbers are going up. But at the same time, cannabis uses seems to be, and, and no one can really, there's not been a, a statistical analysis of it across the country, but I'm saying, listening to and talking to some of the people who I know were providers, I'm coming to you from Florida. And, you know, people are trying to say to me down here that it seems that cannabis use is finally starting to go and a little bit higher than alcohol use. People are sequestered at all. You know, rather than, you know, after the fourth or five, fourth week of running back and forth to the liquor store, people decided to have something cannabis delivered in instead of running to the liquor store. And people are starting to recognize the deleterious effects of drinking every day. So now people are reaching out for more cannabis may be the one industry that literally continues to survive while the rest of the nation is flailing. So how are you, is there a difference right now in how you're training people or how you're approaching your students and talking to them about what their goals should be over the next three or four or five months? I just have one comment and then I'll hand it over to Angela because she's boots on the ground. But um, here in California, the cannabis industry was seen as a essential service because it also has that medicinal quality to it as well, too. And so that's I think that has really helped um, the industry to um, see that spike in. And we always know that alcohol sales did go up during um, times of recession or challenge. Um, people are self-medicating or medicating themselves to, to cope. Um, and it had been alcohol, but it seems as though um, cannabis is, is now the, the uh, new choice now that um, we've, we've seen the changes in, in the laws and legislation. So, but Angela is, um, again, boots on the ground and can tell you about the, the jobs and, and what her companies are experiencing. Are you, Angela, are you seeing you know, a, a bigger outreach or more and more people coming to the industry? Is the industry starting to rehire now? I know a lot of the storefronts have been closing, but the delivery services have been taking off, correct? Yes, the storefronts are, are still open uh, for business. Um, they're, they're practicing social distancing. Um, they've um, worked on their standard operating procedures uh, for the COVID-19. Um, they're wearing masks and gloves and uh, using the hand sanitizers um, um, and lining people up with the six foot uh, distance and things of that nature. Um, one of the uh, clients that we have here at Success Centers, uh, uh, Reese um, um, Benton from Posh Green Collective is opening up for business of her of her dispensary today, uh, and uh, she uh, has struggled along in trying to get this her business up and running. Um, I'm so excited um, to be announcing that. Um, 
we we are just a, a great supportive system, and uh, wherever we can help in the industry, that's what we're doing. Okay, you know, ladies, let me take a little break. Got to pay some bills. We take a little break, and we'll be back right after this. I am so happy today to be joined by two really exceptional guests. This is Liz Jackson Smith, who is the CEO of Success Center, and Angela White, who is the program director for the equity of for the industry program at the Success Centers. So now the two of you, do you work out of the same office? So um, just a little correction, because my husband will be so upset. It's Simpson Montel, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, I said Samson. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Simpson. Thank you. So we, Success Centers has four locations around the Bay Area. We have two locations in San Francisco where we have our career center. That's where Miss Angela's office is. Um, we also have a training center. Um, and um, then we also have a satellite office in South San Francisco and one in Oakland. So we... We've been talking about the you know, equity program, but talk a little bit about some of the other programs that Success Center offers. Yes, thank you so much. So we um, lead one of the um, career access points or one-stop centers um, as part of the America's Job Shop um, in San Francisco. Um, this very transactional helps people um, obtain jobs in, in all kinds of industries, but our main focus is health, hospitality, construction, tech, cannabis, and the arts. Um, we also have a training center where we provide construction training. We um, show people, um, introduce them to the basic trades by building tiny houses. So those tiny houses um, help to teach electrical, plumbing, drywall painting, those types of things. And they're really cute. Um, we also do tech training, um, largely young people who have been struggling trying to get into the tech industry, uh, many of whom have helped us to learn how to get and quickly move into the virtual space. Then they go out to infiltrate um, the tech industry. Um, we also have a school that is run in partnership with John Muir Charter School so we can give out high school diplomas and GEDs and get folks into to college. And then in the uh, San Francisco site and Oakland site, we also have um, little ancillary satellites to help get people into our training programs and to, to find jobs. Let me ask you a question, Angela. In California, every state is different when it comes to their equity programs. Some of them are legislated. Some of them are just suggestions. In San Francisco, is this a countywide initiative or can you talk a little bit about your state law? Does the state law require equity in being involved or equity involvement in the cannabis industry? So each city and county is different uh, in the state of California, whether or not they're going to have an equity program. One of the things that I, I wish would have been thought about was before they started uh, allowing uh, companies to come into this industry, equity should have been the first thought. Um, and so people are coming up with um, after the fact programs um, that may or may not work. <laughs> are these legislative programs or just programs that people are coming up with themselves? I, I believe that each city and county is responsible for writing their own uh, equity program. 
Um, Oakland seems to have the one that's working, I think, the best at this point because they have funding for equity, where uh, equity applicants. Um, the, the, the city here in San Francisco does not have a program where they're actually funding equity um, as of yet. And so um, I'm, I'm saying to folks across the country, as you begin to open up the adult use or uh, the cannabis, legal cannabis market, to put in place um, equity business uh, models for equity uh, for folks from the equity community to be able to um, be a part of this um, and fund it um, because it's very much needed. And so, I mean, right now, what would you? Your program has been in place for now how many years? Uh, we've been up and running for about two and a half years. And what, what do you call? What do you consider your success rate to date? I, as far as job seekers and getting in, in, in jobs, I think we have a very good uh, success rate. Um, we are still working uh, for equity applicants and those going through the process. Um, there, some of them are at various stages. We've had uh, uh, a few folks come through who have now their business up and running, like uh, Sean Richards over at uh, Burners on Hate. Um, we have Reese Benton, um, who has been our, our client also. She's got herself up and running. And so it's not very many that have actually gone through the complete pipeline um, because there's a, a bottleneck, so to speak. Um, at <laughs> city at, at, at the office of cannabis, and um, so a lot of people are still waiting for that opportunity. And so, one thing I would say, if we have uh, um, we have room for uh, better incubators uh, who are really interested in uh, standing with equity with the equity community. Um, so, if if someone out there is interested in um, moving moving in and helping us out, uh, connect with uh, these equity applicants as they go through the process with funding, with knowledge, with um, whatever you have to offer, but mostly funding and uh, real estate is is one of the the main problems here in San Francisco. I would love to meet you, and uh, <laughs> they would too. Well, now I guess one of the biggest challenges is, and again, I think both of you pointed this out, you know, the history of cannabis, you know, in America, almost 80% of those who have been incarcerated have been people of color uh, throughout the, in the last hundred years. And, you know, especially in most recent years, you know, the smallest amount of cannabis would get an African-American or a person of color arrested and, and incarcerated, where that same amount didn't do the same thing for non-minorities. So therefore, they don't have it block checked. Do you have to have had a prison record to be a part of the equity program or just be a minority? That's part of the, uh, the criteria um, for the um, uh, equity uh, program here in San Francisco, but that's, that doesn't have to be one. I mean, that is, that's only one. You don't not necessarily have to be a criminal. But, but part of the, the thing that I would also like to, to mention is, you know, they're thinking about putting a moratorium on the equity program. Um, I believe that a lot of the original equity um, members are still locked up just because of what you just said, still incarcerated. And so um, why would you stop a program that um, 
the the people that it really applies to or, or more more people that it really applies to are still locked up and the opportunity may be closed by the time they uh, get out of incarceration. So um, that's that's something that um, I am also, uh, you know, voicing against them uh, stopping that program. Is there an expungement program going on in San Francisco where your records are being expunged if you are released? Watch watch release for having shorter time, especially when it comes to cannabis or no? So, um, yes, um, we have incorporated an expungement component to the program. I, I would just also want to say I've never been incarcerated and I qualify as equity. So there's six criteria here um, in San Francisco. Having lived in a marginalized community, attended school here, being low income, having someone in your family who um, has uh, a, a marijuana offense and has been uh, arrested or detained for it, you yourself having one. And then there's a sixth criteria. I can't remember, Miss Angela, you can probably help me with. Income, income, of a certain income. Um, school if that you went to school here so there's there's several different things that they have to have three of those criteria to qualify for this program and it differs in each community so you know equity means something else and it's good that it's kind of driven by local jurisdiction but i think it's important to have an equity program and to uphold it um i'm sorry martel your other question or concern was I was just wondering, though, if you needed to have been incarcerated to be a part of the program. And my other idea, well, I just ask as a general question, we're getting ready to come out of this pandemic, or we're at least going to be dealing with it for the next four or five months. How do you see your program, Liz, being impacted right now during these tough times where, you know, we're dealing with social distancing, we're dealing with Businesses may have to go through a second round of shutdown before we actually fully open again. How has this been impacting your program? Well, we've never shut down as far as an organization because we, too, see ourselves as an essential service. Uh, many people, particularly in our training programs, rely on us since we get we draw so many people from that are returning to community from detention, many of whom live in um homeless shelters or live in um, uh, halfway houses, they either have to leave early in the morning and can't return until later on in the afternoon. So we provide more than just training and jobs. We provide food, we feed people and provide a lot of their basic needs. So um, I see that for us as success centers, I think um, having received over 60 to 70% of the unemployment insurance claims calls and supporting people through that process, I think we're gonna be inundated. We're gonna need to figure out how to build our capacity at a time where you know some of our contracts and dollars are being are being cut, we're going to see an onslaught of people knocking on our doors, and they're going to be very interested in getting into the, the the cannabis business or industry. But I don't, I see that industry kind of slowing because with the protests, needless to say, many of those companies were vandalized, and a lot of their product um, stolen 
um, or sabotaged. And um, those companies don't have the, uh, again, it's different for cannabis businesses in that they don't have the insurances, therefore the coverage to try to recoup or, or reestablish themselves after all this. So it's it's going to be a huge challenge for, for the industry. And so again, we're advocating that there needs to be some coverage. They should have the benefits that other um businesses enjoy as well, but they're left out of so many uh, opportunities or benefits that others do enjoy. So it's, it's going to be a challenge. Well, also because this is, this industry is so new as far as the uh, insurances uh, being covered in in insurance. And so um, people are putting in their claims right now and some of them are being uh, denied. Um, so I think that uh, the education around insurance uh, is very important to some of these equity businesses. Um, we Equity businesses start with a disadvantage anyway. And so uh, and a lot for the, the dispensaries that were, were broken into, there's Blunt and Moore over in Oakland. Um, I, I'm not sure how they're faring with their, uh, their the, the looting and robbery that went on there. I visited Blunts and Moore when I was there uh, a little while ago. Yes, absolutely. But but I I would I would tend to think that um, you know um, if they have the product insurance, one of the things that would happen if if it, you know when you get bring a product in that stuff is on consignment. You don't actually own that product as a as a dispensary, so it's on a a, a time a, a time turn term term turn, turnaround. And so if that stuff was stolen, some some places could have had up to a million dollars in product. How is the equity business going to come out of that unless uh, those uh, those steps are covered? And so um, there are meetings going on with the the NCIA trying to figure this out for um, cannabis businesses. And so especially the um, the equity uh, market, I'm, I'm very concerned about that. Well, ladies, I can't thank you enough for having been a participant here today and at least sharing with us what you're trying to accomplish. I wish you so much success. I wish you so much luck, especially in the next coming months, making sure that, you know, you survive not only the social unrest, but you also survive this pandemic. You want to give out some information, um, Liz, about how people can reach out to you? Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Montel. And thank you again for this opportunity um, to um, touch out to rec- to equity. So if you're interested in getting involved with our services, you can go to our website, successcentersplural.org, or you can simply text 228-28 and type success centers on the message line and um, follow the prompts. Um, again, thank you for this opportunity. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Angela, how about you? If the people want to get directly involved in the equity program, what do they do? How do they go? Just go through success centers? She froze. So um, Angela's direct um, email address is a white at successcenters.org, or you can reach her at 415-549-7000. Thank you so much again for being here, ladies. I can't thank you enough. And for all of you out there, I can't thank you enough for participating in today. Let's be blunt with Montel. You've got some really good information. I want to make sure we continue to bring that information to you as often as possible. Take care.
Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday. 